Welcome to another episode of Tao Unbound. Today I have the privilege of hosting a familiar guest, Professor Talma Lobel. Such a pleasure to have you. Pleasure to be here, especially when you are the host. Oh, thank you so much. I had the pleasure of hosting uh, the distinguished professor before in my apartment in New York, where she spoke about her incredibly interesting book. We'll talk about a different book today, but... It's the same area. Let me just tell you who she is. She's the former Dean of Students at Tel Aviv U, where she uh, engaged in many, many programs to basically close the gaps within Israeli society. Of course, she's Professor Emeritus of Psychology, uh, got her PhD from Tel Aviv U, postdoctoral work at Harvard University, and of course, uh, she is the former head of the School of Psychological Sciences at Tel Aviv U. And again, welcome to our show. Thank you. Uh, I, I must say that given what's happening in the Middle East and in Israel since October 7, 2023, uh, a psychologist is exactly what we need to talk to, to. talk to. The psychologist is exactly what we need to hear from. So we're happy to have you. Thank you. I have a, um, a you know, one general question because many people are battling with this, you know, question. Why did Hamas, not that it matters, but why did Hamas advertise and voluntarily publicize and celebrated their incomprehensible brutality and cruelty? What, why do you think, what was the, what's the psychological rationale behind it? I'm not sure, but uh, what I do think is that uh, they were so happy with their deeds that uh, our moral uh, ethics doesn't apply to them. It's not that they are a little bit different. So if somebody is bragging to his parents that he killed 10 Jewish uh, women and, and men, and I want to emphasize that he said Jews and not Israelis, just for those who are protest, protesting down, the, the Jews that are protesting against that, uh, and his parents say, oh, wow, wow, that's great. That shows you that he didn't think that is something wrong. On the contrary, it's something to work. Later on, they understood maybe that for the general opinion of the world, maybe some of it should be hidden. But at, at the moment, they put cameras and, and they really wanted the more, the merrier. And, and I think that you're referring to that phone call of that Palestinian um, uh, terrorist who called his parents. Yeah, he called his father, and then the mother also came to the phone and she said, wow, that's great, our son, that you killed so many Jews. And he said, you know, if they're blood, and I'm talking from the phone of a Jewish wo woman that I just killed. And and they were happy. It's not that they didn't say, tell him, don't do that or something. They were happy. Now, son to I, be I, had, proud. I had a... Uh, in a previous conversation with one of your colleagues, he said that the same brutality was also displayed in the past um, towards Palestinians. In other words, Hamas is using the same brutality, and ISIS is using the same brutality, and Boko Haram is using the same brutality. Boko Haram, the organization that in 2014 abducted 300 girls. Yeah. They're using the same brutality against other Muslims. So it's, you know, from a psychological point of view, I'm asking you, maybe the goal was to instill existential fear in us Israelis. Would Definitely. you agree with that? Yeah, I would. And, and, and in that regard, 
I think that Israeli leadership talking about this is our second war of independence and this is an existential threat is actually playing into their hands. It's playing, but it's it might be also true. <laughs> Sometimes you have to say that uh, to make people realize why we have to do whatever we can. Um, but uh, yeah, if they wanted uh, uh, to threaten us, they definitely succeeded. And there are some times that you have to admit that you are threatened. And, and they managed to really trigger uh, the most uh, concealed and comaic fears that exactly. we have, right? Exactly. They, they managed to trigger all those historical traumas. And uh, as uh, someone said, they uh, opened the gates of hell. Definitely, yeah. People never thought that that would happen. Uh, I talked with many friends since then, and everybody said the same. You know, uh, we were under the impression that if something, not like that, but something, I don't know, somebody will attack us at our home, immediately the army will come and save us. Nobody ever, I think, imagined that you sit for hours and hours and talk to the TV and say, I'm here, and nobody comes. That really threatens everything that we believed in, I think. Yeah, yeah. So um, you brought a copy of your book with you, uh, which is titled in English, Whatever Works. Uh, and this is one of several books that you published. And uh, I wanted to ask you, you, you happen to be a very hands-on, practical psychologist, right? When you came to my house, you spoke about practical things that people can do during a job interview. And yeah. So teach us, educate us about what can we learn from your research that we can apply in this particular situation where the whole nation is in trauma? Yeah, so as you said, and rightly so, my first book was about how physical sensations uh, influence our decisions, judgments, and behavior without our awareness. Uh, and I'm not talking about it now unless you'll ask me a specific question. This particular book was meant to work, help, especially about it in the at work. Uh, the subtitle is uh, the small cues that make a surprising difference in our success at work and how to create a happier office. So, uh, in the beginning, when I was invited to this uh, podcast, I thought, you know, this is these are not the times to talk about uh, all kinds of things, how to succeed in an interview or what clothes to wear, and things that are important in in regular times because they do make difference a difference. But uh, there are some stuff that uh, I think are very relevant now, and I'll I'll be more specific. Many people now go back to work. We don't have a choice. I was uh, visiting a Hotel Tal where the edu uh, evacuated people from Sderot are there and talked to people there. And uh, I was surprised to hear that uh, many of them have transportation and every day they go to the to where they work in Sderot and then they come back to the hotel in the afternoon or in the evening. So they have to work back and a lot of people came back to work. A lot of people have to deal with everyday life, not only work, you know. So you have, and, and we are all traumatized. Now, I want to specify, I don't, I'm not talking about those that went through hell. I'm talking about people like you and me that were not there, but still are very stressed just for listening and, and looking at, at, the, at the terrible things that happened. So people are this, you know, it's very hard to focus, very hard to not, to, you know, to concentrate on, on your job or, or whatever you have to do. And I have all kinds of things that can help 
focus better. The other thing I would like to talk uh, later on is the, how to reduce the stress that we're all, again, not for those that went through hell, but people like us that are stressed and still want to, to feel a little bit less stressed. So what you're saying is that one of the expressions of the trauma, and again, I emphasize you're not talking about the people that were there. You're Definitely. talking about the general public who is learning about what happened through mass media and social networks. So you're saying one of the implications, one of the expressions is that people find it difficult to concentrate. What can you teach us that will help us alleviate that problem? Yeah. So first of all, uh, I'll talk about things that are in the environment, which are temperature and uh, light. Apparently simple things, but you, we can control. So let me t- start about light. Talk about light. Uh, light can be uh, either natural from the window or uh, artificial, like we are sitting here in this studio. Light can be uh, intense or can, and the room can be dim. And sorry, and there are studies showing that uh, natural light is definitely better for your physical and psychological health. So if you can work, not always you can, but if you can choose a room, either at work or if you're working from home, if you can choose a room that has a natural light, it will a little bit um, make you feel better and you can focus better. So that's one thing I would like to stress. The other thing, if you are tired and, and, and you know, it's very difficult to work at this time, make, don't work in a dim room. That will make you even more tired. Try it so... Uh, if you can choose the room, choose a room with natural light. I'll talk a, a later on about the window and what you can see from the window. And choose a, and, and, and make it a, a, a really lighted, not, you know, not, not a dim room. What about temperature? So in temperature, there are many studies showing that there is an optimal uh, range, which uh, it's 68 to uh, 75 Fahrenheit or 20... Uh, 18 to 26, something like that, Celsius, that's the range. Within that range, I'm not talking about extreme, It many studies showed that it's better to be in a little bit cooler room than a warmer room. There are studies that, sh- that you know, gave people uh, all kinds of cognitive tasks and put them in different uh, rooms with different temperatures, and they sh- found again and again that even though you feel a little bit comfortable when the room is a little bit warmer, again, within the optimal, uh, uh, between the range, not, not too hot, still, you, especially about complicated tasks, you perform worse than if the room is a little bit cooler. Uh, also, uh, there are studies, for example, that they gave people uh, all kind of programs of, uh, of cell phone. And it has all kind of factors, if uh, the price and how many minutes, etc., etc. And they had to, to consider all that. When the room was warmer, they couldn't come to the best solution because it was too difficult for them to consider several factors cons- compared to those who sit in a little cooler room. So these two, I suggest, uh, if you can control, don't sit a very warmer, uh, warm uh, room, even though you are feeling comfortable. Of course, there are individual differences and gender yes. differences, but in general, what you feel. And uh, and also, uh, if you can, 
sit in a room with natural light. So the, these two tips are relevant to people that are looking to, uh, they have to function, they have to work, they have to, work, to exactly. do whatever it is they have to do, and they need to make sure that they perform at a level. It reminds me a lot of people that struggle with jet lag. Yeah. When traveling, it's the same idea. Exactly. Or, or anything that bothered us before, you know, before these horrible things happened. We were stressed from time to time from different things. And then you find that you it's hard for you to concentrate. It's hard to You so, think about something else. So this, these are the foundational, really, elements. What would you suggest on top of it? Well, uh, on top of it, I would like to suggest uh, how to decrease the anxiety. Again, I know I said it, but I want to emphasize that I'm talking about, not about the people that uh, were at, at these events, but people that saw it on TV and heard the stories and were traumatized, uh, not, of course, not as much as th these people, but still we are stressed. Um, there are many things, many, many ways to reduce stress, uh, which I will not talk about because... I want to talk about the things that people know less. Of course, you can do mindfulness. Of course, I'm talking people that need therapy, uh, psychological therapy, or even some sessions, uh, yoga, breathing, a lot of stuff. But I want to talk about something that people maybe know but don't give it enough uh, importance, which is nature. There are many studies, and I will be more specific in a minute, that showed that when people were in nature, two things happen. The stress level decreased and they performed better cognitively. So let me give you some examples. In Japan, which is a country that did several studies on, on this area, uh, they have a lot of uh, you know woods and all that, forests. They took uh, many subjects, much several hundreds, and each time took uh, small groups of six or eight people, put them one group was in, in a forest, in a real forest, and the other one in an urban uh, environment. They measured their heart rate, their blood pressure, and their level of cortisol via the saliva. Cortisol is the stress hormone. The higher it is, the more stressed we are. So it's very simple. Uh, they measured it just before the experiment started. Then they told them to sit for 15 minutes, either in the urban environment or in the forest, measured it again. Then they told them to walk for 15 minutes and measured it again. The next day, they, they switched the places. Those that were in the forest went to the urban era, uh, environment and those who were in the city came back to the, came to the forest. And they did it again. And so they did again and again and again with many groups in several forests. And they found again and again that those who sit in the forest, their heart rate decreased, their blood pressure decreased, and the level of cortisol decreased. And it didn't matter if they sat or if they walked, as long as they were in the forest. And as long as they were disconnected from the smartphones. Definitely. <laughs> that's, that's another. I have a whole chapter on the yeah, smartphone. If you want so. to ask me about that, I don't know if it's related directly to what we are, the situation, but... I have some interesting story about a smartphone. But anyhow, that's one study. Then in China, they did a very similar one just recently, and uh, they told people to walk in a bamboo uh, place and again found that uh, all the physiological uh, uh, dimensions decreased. 
in Stanford, they did something else. Uh, they told people to work on some cognitive tasks. Then they told them to stop and walk for almost an hour, either in the campus, which is a uh, kind of nature. I don't know if you've have you been there. Yeah, uh, I've been yeah. there. Uh, I have a granddaughter that studies there, so I, I have a good reason to be there. And uh, and um, the, the, the other group walked in the city, outside, sorry, outside the campus. And then they came again to the lab and continued working on their cognitive task. And they were asked several questions on a question. So they didn't measure physiological measures, but I asked them how they feel and all that. And they found that those who were walking within the campus in the nature performed better on several, not all, but on several of the cognitive tasks, especially the more complicated ones. And they also felt that they were less, uh, less stressed, less thinking about other things. And here I should uh, mention to our listeners and viewers, of course, we are in Tel Aviv, and the closest nature that we have is, of course, the beach. Yeah, the Mediterranean. So, yeah, and uh, this is one of the things that now I miss a lot because of the fear of missiles. We don't walk to the, uh, along the beach. This is th that's how I actually start this chapter in my book that I go every day to the beach because this is my uh, my place of of stressful uh, lowering the stress. By the way, I I have a story that uh, a long time ago I met somebody. A woman that I knew, uh, quite famous, and she she walked along the beach and she said, "Talma, this is my psychiatrist." So she knew that that uh, she had a lot of troubles, and so uh, we have the beaches. We have uh, uh, in some other places they have the uh, lakes and the uh, rivers, but this is my uh, what I wanted. To, you led me to what I wanted to say. Anyhow, is that you don't you, you can ask me. You know, I. I live or I work not next to a forest or a beach. What should I do? So there are studies that compared what happens if it's an artificial nature. It's a park with flowers or trees compared to a real uh, forest. Found no difference. So the same results came out if it was uh, if you went to a park or if you go down and there is a garden next to to your office. But suppose you don't have even that. You work in a place or you live in a place uh, where you don't you don't have flowers. You have to walk for a while to do it, and especially these times, you don't want to do that. There are studies that showed that if you take a virtual hike on the computer, and there is one study that took even four different places on, on a virtual, uh, complete uh, nature, like forest, and then park, and then only a garden, and found the same results. People imagined that they were going through a hike and looking at the pictures, at the photos, helped them to decrease their uh, stress. So my suggestion, and also one more thing, also listening to voices of birds or water flowing, uh, you know, uh, waves of the ocean, etc. And there's a whole section on, on YouTube of videos for hours and hours and hours. We can listen to rain and birds and what have you. Yeah, and we can walk, we can look also at pictures can, of yes, this. Yes, so yes. Uh, it's really very easy these days just to open the, the phone or the or the computer and, and find uh, photos and listen to... to now, voices. let me ask you something because um, a lot of people get their information, of course, from uh, news channels. And I know from... Um, my own mother, who's um, 91 years old, she's glued to the screen. And I realized that um, the more she's watching the news, 
the more stressed she is. Definitely. So is there something that you can tell us about that? Yeah. Uh, what would be the right level of exposure to news? Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree. Um, I, I saw, you know, in the first two or three days after it happened, most of us, I, for one, was glued to, to the screen. But I understood that it's, it's really not healthy for us. On the other hand, I argued with one of my friends who told me from the beginning, I don't look at all, I just listen to the news on the exact hour. So I told her, that's also, I, I disagree. With, I told her, that's my opinion. I disagree. We have to know some of the things that happened, what these people experienced, and also the, about the heroes, but not too much all the time. If you uh, So I, for one, uh, when I don't volunteer or do other stuff, which I think are very important, uh, watch uh, TV series or looking for a movie, uh, and I, I strongly suggest to do that. You have to do some other stuff. So don't be glued to the television. Uh, you can uh, watch just to know what happens, of course. Uh, so you're, that quietens you in a way that you know that you know what happens. And then either, if you can, depends, your mother is already 91, uh, so maybe she, she doesn't want to go out so much. But if you can go out, uh, and do some stuff, do gym even via the the Zoom or something, um, and definitely watch other stuff that calms you down. Movies, yes. series. and and I think you already mentioned that you're not that you're taking for granted the fact that mindfulness practicing and breathing and definitely. meditation, all that, and yoga. This is all very important and it's working and it's helpful. But you're talking about things that you can do beyond that. Exactly, uh, exactly. I, I thank you for emphasizing that it's not instead of of other things but really really again and again i was surprised i knew that the beach was good for me for example but i was surprised when i heard really top uh, studies published on top journals showing again and again in different countries how really our physiological dimensions and our cognitive abilities improve now let me uh, ask you another question and I, and, I, and I need to explain that question to our listeners and our viewers that are not familiar with the reality of life in Israel. So in modern buildings in Israel, most Israelis live in apartments. There's a safe room. What is a safe room? A safe room is a, is a special room that is built with more concrete, very thick walls of concrete that is meant to protect us from a direct hit by a, by a rocket or a missile. And, uh, and in cases um, where buildings... Um, we're hit directly. The safe room has proven to be very effective. Um, now, and this is my question to you, we find ourselves spending more and more time in those safe rooms. Uh, what are the things that you would recommend? Because we obviously we don't have access to natural light. Definitely. We, we can control the temperature. But what would not you recommend? Always, not always. Not always. Not yeah. always. What are the things that you would recommend for people that are stuck in the safe room for hours, in the areas that are close to the border, for example. Yeah, there, uh, and I'm not talking again about the time that they were, they, they were afraid that anybody can get in, but yeah. when there are missiles. Yes. Uh, I cannot... I cannot say much about temperature and light and all that. As you say, this is... Uh, if you can put it more light... If they are with children, try to talk about something else. Uh, try to put things. If you know that you are going to spend some time there, 
don't forget to put if there are children toys, books, uh, things that you do in general. Uh, again, it depends. In, in here in, in Tel Aviv, when more people live, most people live in uh, apartment apartments, not in uh, single houses. The the what we call the mama, the, the safety zone, is not big usually. So uh, make it comfortable. I don't have much, of course, prepare food and all that, but I, I don't have much to say uh, beyond that because all the things that are important, like the light, the window, <laughs> the the temperature, are not uh, controlled. Yeah, but uh, would you recommend, for example, bringing in games? Yeah, definitely. Social games and... Uh... Social, if you're sitting... Anything that can distract your uh, mind, and especially children's mind that you can maybe, not always, easier, it's easier for them to distract and to tell them it's nothing. I just went on my way here, I heard of an interview on the radio with a woman that sat there for 21 hours with two children. And she said, the children, I think she said they were six and, and four, something like that. She said, till last week, they didn't know that there were uh, bad people outside. They told them it's the soldiers and they tried... It shows that they are, you know, they're they're really. I I envy them to be such a strong people that they could for 21 hours. But if you can uh, project, because the more anxious you are, the more anxious your children will be. Yes, that's for sure. Now let me ask you one last question because we're running out of time. Um, loneliness. So loneliness was a big problem during COVID. Yeah, when uh, people that have no family, usually the elderly, but not always the elderly, there are many lonely people in big cities all over the world, and it's a big problem. Uh, what would you say to people that are alone in their apartments when there's a siren goes on? What are your advice to them? My advice for them is to go to the to the nearest. Yeah. yeah. So if they are alone, they can't do anything else. I mean, uh, if they can invite somebody to live with them, and you know, there are many people. You gave me an idea now. There are many people who live in a in apartment house with no uh, what you call the mamad. How do you call it? Uh, a safe room. Yeah. Safe room. Many many houses in Tel Aviv don't have that. So maybe some lonely people. Uh, We'll invite somebody to stay with them in another room and go together to the safe room. Some people I know that are alone, and I know personal knowledge. Some say, no, I don't want the... For example, I have a friend who has a son with children. She said, no, I'm more comfortable in my own bed. When there is a siren, I go to that room. But we are here talking about 10 minutes being in the, in the safe room. I think that those that live uh, in the south and stay for hours, maybe, especially in the kibbutzim, I'm, I think they they do go together. I don't know. I really don't know. But but it's a it's an important thing, and and you did mention that that it's not a good thing to be alone. Definitely, it's and, not a good thing. Uh, unless some people like to be alone. Some people they are individual, yeah. but in general, it's not good to be it's alone. It's not a good thing to be alone, especially uh, during times of increased stress and and tension. Well, uh, Professor Lobel, thank you so much. Uh, if I can uh, hold your book for a second, just to show to the camera. Sure. Uh, those of you who are interested, it's it's called Whatever Works, 
And it was initially published to help people in everyday life, but now when we are in times of crisis, there's some very helpful tips. And thank you so much for coming to our studio and for sharing this knowledge with us. Thank you for, so much for inviting me, and I hope it helped even a bit. I'm sure, I'm sure it will. And to our listeners and viewers, goodbye from Tel Aviv until our next episode.